heard that. I won't start it. I want to I want to start a new series this morning because I don't know how long it's going to take me to finish because this is big. The title of this morning's message is maximized living. Maximized living. What does it mean to maximize? To maximize, listen, means to make as large or as great as possible. I want you to understand something about our God. Our God never dreamed of a small life. Hello. God never dreamed of an insignificant, confined, restricted, should I say it, cursed life. When God created life, he created it to be expansive, ever-increasing, ever-changing, ever-growing. He created, we think about the garden, it was perfect. There were no limitations save one. Y'all following me? And now scholars will debate the why of the tree. I, I, I tend to like simplicity. I think the simple answer, especially when it comes to God, religion makes things complicated. When it comes to God, it's usually a very simple explanation. The why of the tree is obedience. Obedience has to be born of choice or it's not obedience. You following me? If, if, if I have no choice but to obey you, then my obedience is meaningless. My obedience only means something if I have the choice to disobey. So I truly believe that the reason for the tree was a simple choice. And had man not disobeyed, life would have been limitless. It would have been maximized. So I want you, I want this just to become part of your character. God's dream for you is not a small, confined space. God's dream of you is expansive. God's dream for you is big. God's plan for you is bold. God did not create. Listen, I heard one preacher say one time, you weren't born average, so don't die mediocre. That you and I ought to always strive for bigger understanding that my goal in life is to maximize life for his glory. Because the, the desire of my life is to live the life that he dreamed of for me. Is this okay? And so when you think about the maximized life, my mind just tended to go toward Canaan land. The promised land. The land of promise. Do you know that in the promised land, a place where a group of slaves was going to become a nation of masters. But I want to say this, not masters of each other. Masters of industry, masters of business, masters of their environment. You follow me? But not masters of each other. You can't read the Old Testament and not understand that obedience was always a problem for the children of Israel, much like it is for us today. That Israel was never meant to have kings and queens and nobility and aristocrats. They were supposed to be a nation of equals. No, not equal in skill sets, but equal in opportunity. It, the, the promised land, the promise of the land was this. You will be free to be as much as you can be. The only limits were self-imposed limits. Now, I'm not talking about disobeying God. You understand, right? 
I, I'm presupposing I'm talking to a group of people who want to obey God. But in obedience to God, life opens up. In disobedience, it becomes restricted. But in obedience, it opens up. Now, as far as the, the, the promised land, they were supposed to be equal in opportunity, meaning that each and every one of them had the same opportunity to increase. And God was so committed to them being able to maximize their life that he instituted a thing called the year of Jubilee. What is that? That is where, whether it was through neglect, mismanagement, ignorance, or just bad luck, if they found themselves in debt, this is important, the debt was not meant to be eternal. If they couldn't dig their way out when the year of Jubilee came, they were gifted freedom. You follow me? That is so important to know because God has now in Christ, he is our year of Jubilee. We have a way out because the borrower is always slave to the lender that God has provided us a way out so that we can maximize our life, not be slaves to someone else. All right, I, I, I got to get this train out of the. Obedience, listen to this, I want to say this twice. In order to live a maximized life, obedience is a necessity. Obedience is a necessity. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. I'm going to read this to you out of the New American Standard. The scripture says this, if you consent, everyone say consent, and obey, everyone say obey. Now, I'm gonna, in just a second, I'm going to show you both of those words are verbs, meaning the obedient are active people. Actively listening, actively obeying, actively moving toward that which God has put out there for them. If you consent and obey, you will Eat the best of the land. If it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the mouth of the Lord said, if you consent and obey, you won't perish by the sword. You'll eat the best of the land. We're talking about maximized living. Now, look at the word consent. Consent is a verb. This is so important because it denotes action. Consent is a verb meaning to be willing. Its primary meaning is to be positively inclined to respond to authority. Meaning when God says it, we're positively inclined to do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. The key to maximize living, to living a life that is as large as possible, of fulfilling God's dream for us. Listen, your mama might have said you were nothing. Your daddy might have said you were nothing. Your aunts and your uncles might have said you were nothing. But God birthed you to be something, something significant. 
to live life in such a way that generations after you look back to you and say that's when the difference was made. You're following me. Now, I, I, I got to say this. I am not telling you that you'll be famous. In our culture, we've learned to equate greatness with fame. God told Abraham, he said, I'll make your name great. He never said, I'll make you famous. We celebrate celebrity for no other reason than they're famous. I remember when I, rabbits everywhere. When we first came home from Poland, I heard of this weird family called the Kardashians. And they were everywhere. And I remember trying to figure out, what do they do? I would ask people, what are, have they been in movies? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, I guess there was a certain type of movie that started it. But I was like, what do they do? They did nothing. They were just famous for being famous. And we celebrate it. God never said, I'll make you famous. He said, I'll make you great. Someone who you don't got to be famous to be great. To be great means you make a difference. You make such a mark on your generation that it's not easy to be erased. And generations after you, they, they think back to grandma and grandpa and say they made a difference. My family was cursed until grandma came along. My family was broke until grandpa came along. They became great and made a difference. God birthed you and recreated you in the image of Christ for greatness. We got to change the way I think because our culture teaches us to think small, to be satisfied with mediocrity. And that's why is this, I'm chasing rabbits. I'm not. That's why within us, there's so there's there's such a sense of struggle because there's something in us that says there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than this. But all around us, we're saying, you know, we hear the voices. No, be satisfied with what you have. You weren't born wealthy, so be satisfied with this. You weren't born into a big family, so be satisfied. God is your family. It doesn't matter what your lineage did or did not do. It doesn't matter where your ancestry came. And listen, Ancestry.com, I think they fake half of it anyhow. <laughs> Somehow people think, well, if, if my great-great-grandpa was Polish royalty, that makes me something. No, it don't. What makes you something is that your father is the creator of existence. That your elder brother is the Messiah of the world. And that you've got Moses and Isaiah and Deborah and all these heroes of faith. That's your family lineage. So you, not, you just need to settle it. Settle that inner struggle and admit, I was born to greatness. So I'm not going to settle for anything less than maximized living in fact the ancient rabbis i by through rabbi daniel lapin i really got turned on to reading some of the writings of the ancient rabbis and the ancient rabbis to this day they still teach it but in the jewish community they teach that if you do not strive to become all that you can be you rob your creator by not realizing the potential he placed within you they teach that your responsibility, your primary responsibility before God is to become all that you can be. You remember the parable of the talents? I taught on it not too many weeks ago. Is this okay this morning? I'm just kind of rambling. The Lord gave three people three different levels of talents. 
and they came back. Now, two of them maximized the talents they were given. The one was given five. He came back and he presented him with ten. And what did the Lord say to the one who had given him back the ten that maximized? Well done. Well done. In our own end. But one of them said, I was afraid. And because of fear, I buried the skill set you gave me. I didn't want anyone to know what I could do because I was afraid they'd ridicule me or I didn't wouldn't measure up. So, Lord, the skill sets that you gave me, I buried them. You birthed me to be a poet, but I settled. You birthed me to be a teacher of men, but I settled. And so, Lord, I come to you and I give you back exactly what you gave me. Not increased, not maximized. I did nothing with it. We've got to commit ourselves. Is this okay? The obedient are not passive. They are active. Obey is a verb too. It means to hear, to obey, to listen. That when the Lord speaks to you, you just do. They actively respond to God's leading, his word and his voice. Listen to this. The road to maximize living is paved with action. Not imagination. Small thinking ruins life when it leads to small living. Dreams only matter when they guide action. You become what you do. Go with me to Psalm 66, verse 12. Psalm 66, verse 12, reading it to you out of the New Living Translation, says, Then you put a leader over us. Thank God for godly leadership. You put a leader over us. We went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of great abundance. The King James calls it a wealthy place. If it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. The devil did not create wealth. He just twisted it and distorted it. The gold and the silver, who put it there? The diamonds and the emeralds, who put it there? Then you put a leader over us, and we went through. Everyone say through. That is so important. We went through. Yes, we went through fire. Let's jump over to Isaiah. Let me show you something here, okay? Is this okay this morning? Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, we went through the flood. But when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. A very present help in trouble. What I'm telling you is this. You've gone through fire, but you didn't go through it alone. You went through the flood, but you didn't go through it alone. And the fire and the flood are not meant to become the place you live. Those are things you go through. But he brings us into a wealthy place. You're following me. So Isaiah says, that when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be scorched. Nor will the flame burn you. Now I'll go back to Psalm 66. We went through. But you. We went through. But the moment did not define the life. 
Because you put a leader over us that told us that I wasn't ordained of God to burn in fire all my life. I wasn't always supposed to live in hell. You put a leader over us that would tell us, you walk through the water, but you don't drown. See, all of us need a voice in our life that will tell us, keep walking, keep moving, keep pressing, keep doing something, keep being proactive and obeying God, because you'll come through the fire, and you'll come through the flood, and you'll come to a wide open, airy space. The word that's the defined wealthy, it, it's really an extra, extraordinary word. It means open air and moist. Meaning God doesn't lead you to the desert. He doesn't lead you to a, a, a place that's like a blast furnace. And the sand beats you. And every time the wind blows, it's oppressive and it's hot. God says, no, I'm bringing you to a place where the ferns are 10 feet tall. I'm bringing you to a place where the grapes are size of basketballs. It's a moist place. It's an open air. What's that mean? It means it's expansive. See, God's dream and our experience are not the same. But my faith does not hook itself to my experience. The purpose of my faith is to make God's truth my reality. So if God said, I'm bringing you to a wealthy place, I don't say, but Lord, I've been through the fire. Fire is all I've ever known. I've always walked through fire. Everything's always been hard. God will say, shift your focus. Quit focusing on the fire and focus on the wealthy place. Quit focusing on the flood and start focusing on the wealthy place because God is bringing you through. Can I chase another rabbit real quick? Y'all got time? Yesterday, I was at home minding my own business, doing sermon prep, and someone knocked on my door. When I opened it up, I could smell the alcohol. And he said, you need to come with me. I thought, dude, I'm trying to get ready for Sunday. He said, you need to come with me because this is what God ordained you for. And this was a neighbor who four years ago suffered the unspeakable tragedy of his second-born son killing himself. And I've been walking with him for four years through this. And I knew what, what he had done again is he found his pain reliever in a bottle. And he said, you got to come with me. He said, my wife's about to leave me. And so I went down and talked to him and spent some time with him, listened to him, Cleve, as he began to... Talk, talk like an alcoholic. I've got no choice. If God wanted me to stop, he'd make me stop. And I finally, I said, listen. I said, there's not a prayer you'll ever be able to pray that will relieve you of choice. Not a prayer you'll ever pray. Choose you this day. Over and over and over again, God said, you've got to choose and so I, I asked this young man, I said, you got to choose between the bottle and your wife. Well, Pat, you, you need to be gentle. You know what I went through. I said, you're choosing to make a tragedy your lifestyle. You're choosing. No, I'm not. It was chosen for me. I didn't. I said, I know you didn't pull the trigger, but you're choosing your response to camp out in the darkness. He said, darkness is all I know. I said, there's always light. On the other side of darkness, always light. 
And I finally said, listen, you got to decide, is God a liar? Well, no. He said, joy comes in the morning. The morning is when light dawns. I said, you've got to make a choice to believe there's light on the other side of this darkness. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm chasing this rabbit for one of you. You've got to choose to believe that there's victory on the other side of this battle, that there's, there's healing on the other side of this disease, that there's light on the other side of this darkness, that God is not done with you, God is not through with you, and you've got a choice to believe that there is a better life ahead of me, better than I've ever known, that maximized living is just over the horizon for me. That's the first thing you got to do. you got to say, I believe in the goodness of God and that I will experience the goodness. This is what David said. David said, if I didn't believe, I'd experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. I would have been despondent and depressed. And then I asked him, I said, you went to Bob Jones University. Tell me what Psalm 23 says. Well, he had to look it up. I said, look it up, read it, tell me what it says. And he quoted it. And I said, what did he do when he was in the dark place? He walked. I said, bingo. Now tell me how to walk. He said, you put one foot in front of the other. I said, you've missed a step. The first thing you got to do, y'all listening to me? The first thing you got to do when you walk is you got to choose a direction. That's the first step. You choose a direction. You're either going to walk toward oblivion and death or you're going to walk toward maximized living in life. You're going to walk toward the dream God has for you. I said, now, once you've chosen a direction, you put one foot in front of the other. And I said, you keep walking. Now, hear me when I is this OK this morning. I said, you keep walking until your direction becomes your destination. Until your direction brings you to your destination, you keep putting one foot in front of the other and you walk through. In, you, in order for you and I to rise above mediocrity and become maximized in our living to where we can say every gift God gave me I used for the benefit of humanity. Everything God did for me, I did for others because if God brought it to me, he brought it through me. Everything, we just keep walking in the direction of living a full life and realizing it doesn't matter if our whole lives we've lived restricted in welfare and government cheese and government milk and there's better there's better and you can say this is all I've ever known but you can know more because you were created for greatness you were cre is this okay I'm not preaching self-help don't ever confuse me with a self-help guru because I am well aware that Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you believe, then all things are possible. So it's not a matter of self-help. It's a matter of grabbing a hold of Christ and saying, bring me through to the other side. A hmm. maximize life. This will definitely be part two. A maximized life. I think I'm going to have to get more comfortable chairs so you all can endure longer. A maximized life is an ever-expanding, ever-changing life. But listen to this. Change is only endurable when your situation becomes intolerable. 
I want to say that again. Change is only endurable when your situation is intolerable. When your present situation becomes intolerable, you'll actually endure change. I remember years ago, I was preaching and I heard myself say something that even shocked me, but it didn't shock me as much as it did Sister Mary. I was preaching and I said, the Lord loves you, but he can scarcely tolerate you. And (laughs) if Steve Albrecht was here, he could tell you about it because Sister Mary... She was married to an early theologian in the Assemblies of God, and so, you know, for 50 years she's married to a theologian. She becomes something of a theologian by osmosis. And uh, she got really irate when I said that. So irate she didn't hear the rest of what I said. She just went home fuming. And she went home and she said, Lord, you got to teach that young whippersnapper something because he don't know you. He said, you love me, but you can barely tolerate me. And she said the voice of the Lord spoke up and said, he knows me better than you do, and he's right. And the Lord said, you got the CD, now go back and listen to the rest of what he said. Because this is what I said afterwards. I said, the Lord loves you, but he can barely tolerate you. He can scarcely tolerate you because he knows your potential. That's why he finds your present state intolerable. Because he knows what you're capable of, because he's the one that put the gifts and the talents within you. He knows you're capable of owning a business instead of just working in one. He knows you're capable of writing songs that will be sung around the world. He knows you're capable of building a business that will change your community. So I said, because he's fascinated and committed to your potential, this is why every time you come into his presence, he changes you. He changes you because he finds your present situation intolerable. So he keeps working on you to make you more like his son. He keeps changing you. And when she heard that, she cried out and she said, well, Lord, I'll change. Change is only endurable when our present situation becomes intolerable. When we realize that God's dream is so much bigger than what I've ever experienced, we, we willingly submit and say, Father, I'll consent and obey. You tell me what to do, and I will do it. You want me to engage myself in another place, I'll engage myself in another place. You want me to learn a new skill set, I'll learn a new skill set. You want me to go back to school, I'm 62, I'll go back to school. It don't matter. You tell me what to do, and I will do it, because I know that when I obey you, you take me through to a wealthy place. But if we refuse and rebel, we'll be devoured by the sword. Is this okay this morning? I'm trying to, listen, this is just the introduction. In the weeks to come, we'll, we'll really get cranking on this. Go with me to John chapter 17. I want you to see something that the Messiah said, and I'm going to start trying to hurry up. John 17, verse 4, out of the New American Standard. Jesus said this, I glorified you on the earth. How? By accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. Now notice what the Messiah didn't say. Jesus did not say, I glorified you on the earth by working great miracles. Now, were the miracles glorious? Of course they were. He didn't say, I glorified you on the earth by preaching unforgettable sermons. Were his sermons unforgettable? Of course they were. What Jesus said is, I glorified you on the earth by accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. Now, if that's true of him, what do you think is true of us? 
We're going to glorify God by when we accomplish the work he's given us to do of becoming what he's called us to be. And in order to do that, we're going to have to throw off the labels that other people have put on us. You have got to believe you are created for more. You, and it's not a matter of ego. It's a matter of confidence. God created you to live a maximized life. And if where you are is not maximum, then begin walking. Putting one foot in front of the other and pressing toward the bigger, the better, the greater. Hmm. The glory, listen to this, the glory of a thing, and this is anything, is found in the achievement of its potential. A rose in bud has potential, but it has no glory. Listen to what I'm saying. No one's ever looked at a rose bud and said, now isn't that glorious? It's got all the potential in the world. But if it dies on the stem as a bud, it had no glory. It's only when that thing opens up and you behold what God created it to be. Fragrant, beautiful, something to behold. You look at the opened rose and you say, now isn't that glorious? Because it is what God created it to be. The glory of a thing is not found in the potential of a thing. The glory of a thing is found in the realization, the achievement of its potential. It's when that rose opens up that all the world stands back because man in all of his creativity has never created anything like that. Is this okay? Let's keep going. Go to John chapter 15. You know, of all the things we put up in here, the one thing we never did put up was a clock. I wonder why. John chapter 15. You know, you go to a lot of churches and they got a big old clock. I refuse to be bound. I'm a free man. John chapter 15, verse 8. Listen to this. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Living the maximized life isn't hard. It's easy. And Jesus said so. Go with me to Ma Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. This is the modern King James Version. It says this, for my yoke is easy. Easy like Sunday morning. There you go. I needed someone who could sing it. I once told, have y'all ever heard of John Starnes? Y'all never heard of John Starnes? One time I was listening to John Starnes, and I'd say, man, if I could sing like that, you would never shut me up. And the person was, that was with me said, yeah, but you don't, so please do. <laughs> My yoke is easy. Listen to this. Easy means achieved without great effort, presenting few difficulties. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Reading the same verse out of the Amplified says, For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, not hard or sharp or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. I want to say this to you. Listen, in order, obeying God is not hard. 
Now, it might be hard on the flesh until you retrain your mind because we're born into rebellion. But once we learn to obey God, obeying God is easy. When you know the benefits of obeying God, and they're many, then when he says to forgive, you're quick to forgive. When he says to give, you're quick to give. When he says to go, you're quick to go. Why? Because I know God's not out to harm me. God's out to bless me. He's out to increase me. He's out to promote me. So whatever he says, you do it and you do it quickly. Why? Because obeying God is easy. The reason I'm saying this is you've got to understand this. Living the maximized life is not hard. It's easy. All you have to do. Listen, the only thing God, is this okay? The only thing God asks you and I to bring to the table, because he does everything else. The only thing he asks us to bring to the table is faith-filled obedience. It really has always been about this, loving God enough to trust God and trusting God enough to obey God. You want me to say that again? This is what it's always been about. Just love God enough to trust him. And trust him enough to obey him. Because you can know of all the personalities in all of creation, the one who's most committed to you is him. As far as I know, no one else ever died for you. But one did. Why? He said, I've come that they might have, and not just life, but life more abundant. If we do what he says consistently and constantly, he will bring us step by step into a large open place of abundance. I already quoted it, but let's read it. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. That word abundantly, listen to this. It means around, over, and above. Meaning so much life it can't be contained. So much abundance you can't contain it. It's around you, it's over, and it's above. Doesn't that sound a lot like Luke 6.38? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over? Abundance, God's idea. John 10.10 out of the New Living says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Out of the Passion Translation, a thief only has one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance. Selah. I've come to give you everything in abundance. More than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. We need to understand the why of the overflow. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The Bible says this, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes poor. It is the blessing of the Lord that barely gets you by. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes, and he adds no sorrow to it. But listen to this, the blessing becomes a curse when you forget the who, the why, and the how. The who, it all comes from him. The why, that you might be a blessing. The how, his blessing, not your effort. 
The overflow, listen to this, the overflow is for influence, world evangelism, and kingdom expansion. Is this okay? True enrichment, Proverbs 10.22 out of the Passion. True enrichment comes from the blessing of the Lord with the rest and contentment and knowing that it all comes from him. If y'all can give me five more minutes, I think I can go through the rest of these five pages. <laughs> go with me to Luke chapter 12. This is just an introduction to mas maximize living. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, reading it to you out of the Passion. Speaking to the people, Jesus continued, be alert and guard your heart from greed and always wishing for what you don't have. For your life can never be measured by the amount of things you possess. What is greed? Greed is always wishing for what you don't have. That's greed. That is what robs you of contentment. Always chasing the new and improved and distracted by the things. I want to say this. Wealth is not the danger. Greed is. And being wealthy don't make you greedy. There's a lot of greedy poor folk. Been one. First Timothy chapter six, verse six, but says godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Now let's go back to Luke 12, pick it up in verse 16. Jesus then gave them this illustration. A wealthy landowner had a farm that produced bumper crops. In fact, it filled his barns to overflowing. Is that the will of God? Yes. There's nothing he's done so far that was wrong. He clearly was an industrious, diligent farmer. He thought in verse 17, what should I do now that every barn is full and I have nowhere else to store more? I know what I'll do, says the genius. I'll tear down the barns and build one massive barn that will hold all my grain and goods. Then I can just sit back surrounded with comfort and ease. I'll enjoy the life with no worries at all. God said to him, what a fool you are to trust in your riches and not in me. He was not defined as a fool because he was wealthy. He was defined as a fool because of where he placed his trust. He forgot the why of the overflow. I'll bless you and make you a blessing. He continued, this very night the messengers of death are demanding to take your life then who will get all the wealth you have stored up for yourself? This is what will happen to all those who fill up their lives with everything but God. Go back to Isaiah, and then we'll close, and we'll pick it up next week. If you consent and obey, you'll eat the best of the land. If you consent and obey, you'll eat the best of the land. But I want to say this. Understand that as God increases you, two things. One, Remember, when he brought the children of Israel into the promised land and he told them, you're going to live in houses you didn't build, you're going to drink of wells you didn't dig, you're going to eat of vineyards you didn't plant. He said, don't forget me. Don't forget me when your dreams come true. Don't forget me when you get to the wealthy place because you've got to remember I'm the orchestrator and the planner and the designer of it. Don't forget me, number one. 
Number two is recognize and realize what is the purpose of the increase? What is the purpose of living a maximized life? When you have no stress because all of your needs are met and you're living life to the fullest, you are blessed to be a blessing. That the, the affluence is always about influence. It's not about storage. God doesn't want you to be a storehouse. He wants you to be a warehouse, a distribution center. You following me? So that when we have an opportunity to do good, we engage in it. Why? Because the scripture says if we have an opportunity to do good and we do not do it, it's a sin. The sin is not the stuff. The sin is what, how we respond to it. The man was called a fool because he said, you know what, I got a bumper crop. All of my barns are full. I got so much I don't know what to do with it. I know what I'll do. I'm going to store it all. Instead of saying, Father, what would you have me to do with this? I've got more than enough. You want me to give it to who? A great life is a life of influence. And I don't think anything grants us greater influence than generosity. Being generous with our time, with our resources, with our intellect. How about with our smile? Just being generous to everyone around you. Amen? Next, we'll, we'll pick up in part two, but I, I, I just, it, this might take us three weeks, but by the time we're done, I want to show you that there's a maximized life waiting for you right down the road. Just over that horizon, there's a maximized life. And that you are, you and I are on a great journey to a great place celebrating a great God. Amen? Go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah, Father. We're going to pray as Cleve and the prayer team comes forward. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Christ, you're braver than I am because you're trying to make it through the world without God. We encourage you and implore you, give your life to Christ. If you need prayer for healing, we believe in healing. And God always heals. So when I'm done praying and Cleve's going to guide you in the rest, if you need prayer this morning, you come forward. And for the rest of us, I want you to lift your hands. And I'm going to pray this, and if you agree, you can just say amen to it. Father, I'm sorry for thinking so small. I'm thinking somehow you did an injustice by creating me the way I am. Father, I know that you have done justly, justly by me. And that you've given me an equal opportunity with everyone else to succeed. And so, Father, I choose to open up my eyes, my heart, and my mind. And to know and believe, Father, and to set my path toward greatness in you. So that I can do everything you've ordained for me to do. I can be everything that you've ordained for me to be. And that someday, just before I leave this earth, I can say, Father, I glorified you because I accomplished the work you sent me to do. 
Father, I believe that's the heart cry of every person in this place. That they want to glorify you. So I pray that by your spirit of grace, help them do what you have ordained for them to do. And to no way fall short. To no way settle. But to press beyond the voices of men. To press beyond their own pain points. And to become more than who they are. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. God bless you, Pastor Cleve. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. Where glory to God. There may be some, there may be some out in our audience today that have not accepted Christ as their Savior. We want to give you that opportunity. It's very simple. We make it real easy. I want you to cast your eyes on the screen. And just repeat after me. Just talk to the Lord from your heart. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. I ask you to give me a new heart and a new start. In your name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Right now, would you just bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word that you brought today. Lord, that word got a wall over us, Lord Jesus. All of us, Lord. But we take that word right now. We hide it in our hearts. We thank you, Lord God, we, that seed of that word is going to manifest in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that we're not content with just being a rose in the bud. But, Father, we want to bloom. We want to bloom before we come to see you. We want, we want to be in full bloom when we show up in heaven. We don't want to show up as a bud. We want to show up in full bloom. Not just there, but even here in the earth. Lord, our talents, our gifts, or everything that you've placed on the inside of you, Holy Ghost, we ask you to manifest it. We choose, we choose today to allow those things to be manifested in our lives in Jesus' name. We choose to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you, Lord. Amen.